Welcome back to Following Know It on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 114, and we are entering part three of Rhythm of War. We have four chapters to talk about this week, several different point of views, and our first flashback chapter of the whole book. The As far as page count goes, at the end of this episode, we will be exactly halfway, like to the page. At the end of chapter 47, we are exactly halfway through the book as far as page count goes. And it took us this long to get our first flashback chapter. Paul, how are you, and what do you think about that? I'm great. I, I So far, we're kicking off part three, and I'd say we're kicking it off pretty strong. Uh, I had some moments that were super cool to, to me specifically, which I'm, uh, at least me specifically, so I can't wait to talk about them. And really get our uh, 114th episode on, on the roll. <laughs> Elliot? I'm really excited for our, our flashback. I actually, I feel like I wasn't super excited for flashback chapters when we start. But the fact that he's been like dangling them, you know, like the carrot out in front of us for half the book now. Where it's you flip every chapter and you're like, surely flashback. Nope, 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 nope. 500 pages in and here's our first flashback so i'm so by now now i'm like really excited to finally get to some of the the past of of esh and i and benley so i'm pumped i like these chapters sounds good do either of you have two words to summarize this episode we'll start with elliot i sure do my two words are socratic connections okay paul well that sounds really big. <clears throat> My two words are Harold hiding. Okay. It's got multiple meanings. Don't worry about it, Trevor. I, we'll talk about it. A little too late for not worrying about it, but let's use these four <laughs> words and talk about Rhythm of War. Okay, gentlemen, before I ask you to explain your four words, I'd like to zoom out for a second and observe Rhythm of War. We just said that we're page count halfway through, and we're entering. We're just entering part three. What are you guys' feedback on one and two so f- parts one and two so far? I'll save mine for last. I'll I'll jump in. I think I think I've been enjoying it. I think I've been enjoying it. It it seems it's definitely been a different pace than the three previous books. We've gotten a good mix of action, but then also like some politics or some lore type stuff. It it's been whereas some of the previous books had been like quite a bit of slower stuff in the the beginning with maybe a little bit of action mixed in. So I think pacing i'm enjoying it it seems it seems pretty good content story-wise i i can never quite make up my mind with these brandon sanderson stories because of i know there's a sander lanch out there waiting for me and so i can't draw any conclusions now because i know the the big drop is still yet ahead so i'm i'm maybe kind of lukewarmish on the the plot so far 
but I've been that way on like all the rest of them. So I, I, I don't want that to be any kind of a passing judgment on it so far. So I don't know. Optimistic, positive. Okay. Paul. Um, if you're asking my favorite and least favorite parts between parts one and two, uh, then my favorite part of the two would be part one and my least favorite would be part two. But I, um, as we talked more about part two, I, I did like it more because getting to exchange ideas and, and thoughts and observations with you all uh, really helped point out some things that I probably was missing. Uh, but I would honestly say that I think part two of this book was one of the slowest parts, or at least least I've been interested uh, kind of overall in our Stormlight. Like, if we did our Stormlight parts at a glance, it would be closer to it would be closer to the bottom um, as far as like my investment and excitement. Um, it was still well written, and there were a lot of good things. I love all the stuff with Kaladin and being a surgeon, and all, all the like things going on there. Uh, but that's that was just my opinion on it. Part one was exciting. Um, yeah, a lot of the it was way more exciting than I was expecting for a part one uh, with. Uh, all the stuff with Moash and, and things like that. It was it was pretty packed with emotion. Um, however, it, it still it wasn't necessarily one of my favorites, but the bar is high. The bar is definitely high. Right. Um, but honestly, kicking off part three, I have a lot of hope that part three is going to be like one of my favorite, like like up there for me. Um, I'm just getting, I'm just scratching the surface of part three, but. I can tell just a difference in in pace, in tone, in in things that are happening in part three that have me really excited. Yeah. I think as far as just number of action scenes and action sequences go, between the first two parts of all four books, Rhythm of War has got to be the most action-packed between all four books, has the most action sequences. But that being said, there's something about especially part two, and I completely agree with you, Paul, what you're saying. There's something about the part two that just doesn't hit it for me. Like the, the action sequences are there. I it's just, I'm not as invested in it. I don't know if that's quite the right word to, to say. Like I, I'm definitely interested think... in the story, but it's just not quite hitting the same as, you know, like words of radiance, dual scene with Kaladin and stuff like It's just not quite the same. It doesn't have a quite, the same punch to it. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that, Trevor. I, I think you can honestly say that confidently. Um, and my my at least me personally, why I think it is kind of that way for me is there's kind of a big emphasis on what is up with this tower, um, what it like kind of mechanical things, um, this like sprint and the mysterious uh span read and stuff like that and honestly like it just yeah it didn't carry a lot of the same weight as some of our other parts uh, and also i think it was honestly held back by there not being flashback chapters um okay. i think that's a lot of in my opinion what carries some of our more like less exciting parts is flashback chapters um and it didn't have that and so i think that gave it overall less draw compared to other ones and other books that we've read okay I, I think if I were to rank part two of Rhythm of War, I would also rank it fairly low. That being said, the last several chapters are, I think, are really good. The 
the push for the basement and the taking of the tower. I think that those action sequences are really well. I I think the rest of part two is kind of forgettable for me, to be honest. And I would probably only rank it above part two of Words of Radiance, which is Shalom walking to the Shattered Plains, which is, I think, the lowest... The, the lowest quality of, of the Stormlight Archive so far to me. With but. with 10? With That's 10, with yes. 10, right? Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd have to reread it and then make up my mind there. But I see what you mean. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely close to the bottom for me. Um, Man, those those scenes of, the, <clears throat> of the, the conquering of the tower, though, with the the fused coming in in the midst of the storm and, like, yeah. them reaching through the floor and, you know taking people out and then the the charge down to the basement with the water pouring down the stairs and I, those scenes were really evocative for me so i that that saves it in my mind was that that kept me hooked in and in and engaged yeah no i would agree that definitely carries it yes and i will add i i think if this was on screen if if what happened in this part was on screen i think it would go way up like way up um because there are really cool visual action sequences that happen um that weren't necessarily super like i don't remember much here that was like oh my goodness like the story implications here the, like we the have stakes to, aren't very high yeah we have to freak out and talk for like hours and hours on it you know like we do get in some of our parts uh there were big things right but yeah the stakes oh, it, it it was a bit different so um, but visually, there's a lot of cool stuff happening, so uh, that would be super cool. I, I wonder if why it feels like maybe a little bit is falling flat is the sibling. I feel mm. like we've been building up to what is, who is, where is the sibling for quite a while now, at least, definitely since the beginning of this book, but also a bit from the end of, of Oathbringer, I think. I'm, I think there were references back to there it were. as far back as that. But then now that we've actually met the sibling and we're talking to them, it's it, it it wasn't like a climax of anything. It was it was kind of we had already kind of figured out, oh, okay, sibling is in the tower. Oh, okay, now the sibling's talking to Navani. That there wasn't any kind of like big reveal. It was kind of very much a slow burn sort of progression. And so maybe that's what makes it feel a little less rewarding, perhaps. Okay, now let's circle back to our two words, if you guys remember what they are. Paul? Yes, my two words are Harold Hiding, I believe. Um, and Harold is, we see Nail here, right? Um, and that was kind of exciting. Like, this is part of why I think this part is going to really take off for me. Uh, I really like the Heralds. I'm really fascinated by the Heralds. Is this his first appearance in this book? I believe it is. It might so. be. In my head, there might be a mention in part one, but I if this is probably his first appearance. Um, so, yes, Nail enters the scene, and he is kind of after Dalinar, right? Because... Um, he, he, yeah, all the stuff with Nail, you know, he's quite a character. But uh, it was really exciting to see, and we get kind of a glimpse of his 
which we'll talk about after, but we kind of get a flashback of his past, which is really, really fascinating uh, with Delaware. But the main word, of my two words, is hiding. One, for we kind of have a little hide-and-go-seek scene uh, in the, our first chapter, chapter 44. Um, and honestly, it feels like the whole of our characters in the tower are going to have to go into hiding as much as they can from the fused because uh, they have no stormlight powers right now for the most part. So things are getting complicated, but my two words, Harold hiding is Delinor sees a flashback to the oath pact briefly. Uh, and I feel like it just raised some questions um, and we'll talk about it more in depth once we get to that chapter, but it made me wonder if the heralds are maybe hiding something, or just that there's something we don't know. When we when we get to talking about that, I'm going to read the whole passage, and we'll talk about it oh, and I... deconstruct it and pull it apart. So Ooh, we'll, we'll I can't get wait. There. Yeah. Elliot? So my two words are Socratic connections, and... I'm going to I'm going to make a parallel in one of these chapters to the the philosopher Socrates. There there was something I noticed in this that kind of is really similar to something that he talks about in one of in one of his works or or one of Plato's works that is talking about him. And then connections the oath pact, just like you're talking about Paul and this seemingly types of connections that nail like physical almost or spiritual or whatever you want to call them connections that nail appears to have. I really want to try and figure out what's going on with there. Cause I'm not quite sure, but I think with the three of us, I'm going to learn something here. So looking forward to it. Sounds good. All right. Chapter 44, nothing too mind boggling for this chapter, but we picked right back up from last episode with Kaladin and he's running up the tower and he's being chased, being chased, being chased. He's got the pursuer on his tail, trying to hunt him down. He's got normal singer soldiers in trying to block off the stairwells, but he, he gets out and hides with the help of the sibling, which we'll find out in two chapters later. But yeah, what do you guys think of of this scene where the Kaladin hides in the side passage and then he looks behind him and there's glowing red eyes trying to hunt for him? Like, oh. A little bit spooky, just just a tad. Um, it was definitely we, we've seen. I I honestly think Brandon should and could write a good like horror novel. Uh, he definitely could. Like, he definitely has the ability to. I, I 100% believe that. Um, but the, this kind of gave some some hints of that, you know. We saw that uh, some in, in books past. Uh, but this was definitely, like, kind of spooky. I could see this being, like, a little jump scare scene um, if you were watching. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, this had me on the, the edge of my seat. So... A really intense game of hide-and-go-seek, if you will. Also, I'm going to interrupt you, Trevor. Because we have Ah, yes, a name. I'm sorry. We have a name. I just remembered this. We have a name this week. And I'm very excited. Very excited. We have a new Ardent. Um, and it is... Uh, ben Dixon 
very thankful if if we can see the name there. Um, ben Dixon, uh, the 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 cup that I have this week uh, will hopefully be. Uh, our feelings for you are much happier than than the cup that I have for you because this is the Fuzzies Taco c- Cup, and on the back it says "colder than a breakup text" or "than a text breakup." So I <laughs> I I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to find new cups, guys. So so please bear with me. <laughs> And we do not want to. We would not break up with you via text. Uh, we're very appreciative for your support. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. So my apologies for for the cup selection this week. I am running out. Um, but Ben, we're really uh, thankful for your support as well as all of our patrons. Um, so we have a new ardent in our midst. Very exciting. And with that, we can continue. I just I just remembered that. Um, as thank, we're moving along. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. With uh if there's any listeners or viewers who would like to send Paul a cup, let me know and I can we can figure out how to set that up. But that's true. If you like to donate to Paul's vessel collection, let me know. Yes. Would be much appreciated. Where were we? Horror. Oh, horror yes. films. Um yes. okay, so one of Brandon Sanderson's real good friends, Dan Wells, he does Brandon Sanderson's podcast with him. He is a like a comedy horror thriller writer. He he writes like ironic horror for like young adult like novels. And he's part of his alpha reading group, alpha alpha readers. So he gives him feedback on uh you know the you know, the Shalon lullaby scene and creepy eyes down the hallway and night nightmare. What are they called? Midnight um, essence. Thank you. Midnight essence scenes. That type of stuff. So he gives he gives some good feedback on how to get that horror vibe across on the page. So he he has some good feedback there. Ellie, what do you think of this chapter? I thought I thought it was good. I thought it was intense. I can definitely maybe a little more intense visually than it is on on the page perhaps. You could definitely kind of lean into the the thriller aspect of this. I can definitely I can definitely feel the pressure that Kaladin is under especially with, you know, he's got Teft, he's carrying Teft through the hallways and stuff trying to get away from this really powerful fused guy, the pursuer. So, yeah, definitely definitely got the Definitely got Kaladin's heart beating. Mine was, you know, maybe a little bit elevated. One other thing that I would like to add to this chapter, which is partly a question. Oh. Um, have we seen this actually used before? I feel like we have. So so while Kaladin is carrying Teft, he kind of, like, sees this glowing ruby, um, which kind of, like, leads him to a hidden passage in, in another room we've have we actually seen that used before i feel like we may have literally done this last episode if so i apologize um it's not it's not last episode it's two episodes ago ah uh, uh, yes where okay navani is talking to what's his name bridge for david david thank you and david points out to her the glowing they're actually garnets that's my incorrect typo on the outline sorry paul um 
they're, oh, at they're, least it's not my fault. Yeah, the garnet's in the walls and in the floor, and that's how the sibling keeps tabs on the rest of the tower. So if you if you touch those garnets or if you view those garnets, the sibling is using those to guide Dabit and Kaladin here and Navani uh, in the previous uh, two episodes talking to her so and we'll get some more of that here in a second too so if you see a glowing garnet in the wall go go touch it that's the moral of the yeah yeah well remember that sounds good in kind of playing along with our our horror vibe there was a there was a comment <clears throat> like a, a narrator's comment in this chapter it was really dark, but but you, you almost didn't notice it if you're just kind of going by and reading through it. And it actually relates to the Navani storyline. I, I want to read it for you guys and see what you think about it. Okay. This is in the right in the midst of this whole scene where Kaladin's trying to get away and Sill's kind of helping him. And Sill's kind of going off <clears throat> and they're they're saying, you know, oh, we know that the fuse can't can't harm Sill, so we're not worried. As far as they knew, the fused couldn't harm Spran naturally. The only way to do so was with a shard blade. Even that was temporary. Cut Spran with a shard blade, even ripped them to pieces, and they eventually reformed in the cognitive realm. Experiments had proven that the only way to keep them divided was to store separate halves in gemstones. And the first time I read that, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, good, good to know. Spran can't be killed unless you, you know, split them into pieces and, and store them separately. Okay, fine. And then you read it the second time, and you're like, hold on a second. Yep. Someone is doing experiments where they are ripping Spren into pieces and storing those separate pieces in gemstones so they can't reform. And, and the, the someone that this must be alluding to is someone Kaladin's familiar with. So it's the, the Ardents, right? The, our people, our heroes who are doing our their research and, and learning and things like that. And so this, this plays directly into the struggle that we're seeing kind of Navani, I think, start to go through. The sibling has tried to call her out and say, hey, this is not okay. You're imprisoning Spren. You need to stop this. And Navani's like, no, they're just, you know, they're like animals. We're, we're just doing, you know, humane testing on them. It's fine. Or we're, we're using them like you would a beast of burden. And the sibling keeps saying, no, no, you're you're wrong. This is not okay. And so far, at least from my perspective, I've been fairly firmly in Navani's camp, ready to switch if we need to. But of like, I haven't seen them do anything that's been not okay. Right. That reference right there sounds very not okay. You know, doing that kind of experimentation on any kind of a living thing definitely crosses a boundary. So just to like sneak it in here as like a description of what they know about Spren, it was like it was like a whoa 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 moment for me. So I'm, I don't know that that weighed heavily into my kind of pers perspective on what Navani and her her artists are doing. If all of my kind of assumptions there are true, yeah, and it gives more context to the sibling really not liking Navani on first impression, and yep. even still, so the sibling is is talking to Navani out of necessity and if 
you know, that type of experimentation is happening at Navani's command or whatever, then yeah, I can definitely understand why the sibling has a problem with that. Yeah, good catch. All right. 45, our first flashback chapter. And it's from Eshenai's perspective. And as far as we know, Eshenai's dead current at the current day. So what were your guys' thoughts on getting an Eshenai flashback chapter? And what do you guys think of this chapter? As I mentioned before, I, I was excited about it and super excited to see Eshenai's perspective as well. I wasn't sure. I thought we might just get Venli perspective, although we know that they're they're sisters, so of, of course flashbacks are gonna gonna involve her. But to even to to go as far as getting Eshenai's direct perspective it, is very cool. I'm I'm excited to see this backstory to see if there's kind of some some storylines we can dive into of the the two sisters. Are they gonna be competitive are they going to help each other are they going to not like each other and grow to like each other and what's what's going to be our our big twist that we find in the past of the listeners so i definitely got excited when i flipped over the page and saw this and was definitely you know, eyes wide open looking for stuff at first i was mildly like a little bit surprised that this was an actually flashback chapter but, like, very briefly, like, it made total sense. Like Elliot said, uh, they're sisters, and I kind of I kind of think it's cool that we're getting Esh and I flashback chapters um, to kind of, like, tie into Venli, I guess, in this book. Um, I think that's honestly just really neat. Um, and also, do you think this is partly because, didn't you say, Trevor, that initially Brandon kind of planned that this would be Esh and I's book? Yeah. And then he kind of ended up changing that to be Venli. So, if I remember correctly, Brandon Sanderson had a December 31st deadline for this book. December 31st, 2019, maybe. I, I think was the... I think is how that lines up. Anyway, so Brandon Sanderson, over the last... Over the whole month of December, was live-tweeting his stuff that he was writing in rhythm of war, like not spoilers or anything like that, but you know, vague, like I really enjoyed the scene I just wrote or the, the last thousand words have been pretty tough or I've been really looking forward to putting this scene in since the beginning, you know, stuff like that. And one of the things that he was talking about was a, I got to through outline like five and I still didn't know if I was going to do Eshenai or Venli flashback chapters. And as seen right here, he just ends up doing both. He does the chapter 45 is split Eshenai first and then Venli after that. So he goes back and forth. I think he settled more on more Venli flashback chapters, if I remember correctly. So you'll see more of those as opposed to Eshenai, but Eshenai definitely still has point of view in this book. So. I, I think there were two, I was picking up on a, bit, a little bit of a theme for our two sisters here. It seems like their theme might be discovery, which 
if we think back, I think is actually should have been expected for both of them because Esh and I has this, this drive that seems like none of her other people do to discover, like physically explore the world around her. She wants to go and what's over that mountain or what's, what's over there. I should, I should map this out. And, but Venley, Venley also kind of has this drive for discovery as well. It's very different. And then it's more of a scholarly or like a, what can I learn type of drive? But I noticed like similar language in both of these two sections revolving around kind of that concept of, of discovery. So I'm curious if that's going to be like a, a theme for them going forward. Is that going to be the, the struggle they go on is how far do you, how far do you go to try to, to learn new things? Yeah. The, did you catch the bit of resentment that Venley has for Eshenai at the beginning of this, or at the beginning of her point of view, at least Eshenai is off, you know, exploring these woods or whatever. And she comes across the humans. And then we cut over to Venley before Eshenai has returned. And, Venli is memorizing this this song, this chant that her mo- that her mother's like verbally passing down to her oral oral uh, history, and she's memorizing it and memorizing it, and then she resents Esh and I for not being there with her, not studying these songs with her, and off doing you know whatever. She just thinks she's shirking her duties, but there's yeah, there's a bit of resentment there from from Venli to start here. And there was a there was actually a cool quote associated with that resentment or or jealousy, whatever you want to want to call it, that I that I thought was great because their their mother. How how do you how does the audiobook pronounce her name? Is it is it Jack Slim? That would be the like obvious way, but it sounds wrong to me. It sounds just like Jack Slim, like like like. I think, or mm-hmm. I'm questioning myself now. No, you're right. You, you, you're right, Elliot. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So their mother, Jaxlim, sees this resentment in Venley and and tells her this. Do not dismiss your talents because you envy those of another. That 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 was super that's super great. Like that's something I need to hear all the time. Is I'm so definitely my life focused on others around me, like, oh man, I wish I could do that. Oh, I wish I was, you know, a good public speaker like like that guy, or, or you know, you name it. And it, it causes me to completely ignore like the stuff that that I'm good at, and so I need I need someone you know to embroider that on a throw pillow for me because I need that quote. I was gonna say the amount of throw pillows you should have by the end of this podcast is oh yeah has gone up because <laughs> you've been saying that want... you've been saying that since part two of Wave Kings I think. Oh yeah, yep. I, I want throw pillows with all these quotes on them. That's true. The one I want the most is I am a stick. Any any throw pillow counters in the that anyone want to go yeah. through and count how many throw pillows Elliot should have? Yeah, if you're a real fan of the podcast, you'd know how many throw pillows Elliot has wished for by now. Maybe I'll, <laughs> maybe for our next trivia, I'll do a I'll do a podcast trivia as opposed to a stormlight trivia. Yeah, a terrible, terrible. Paul idea. Elliot and Trevor trivia. <laughs> So there's a there's a segment in here in the Eshenai section, which made me think of Socrates of of all things, and the the th- the 
the plot we're getting with Esh and I, which we seem to be diving into, is back to that explorer explorer mindset. She wants to go and see what's over there. She wants to map everything. That seems to be her main motive. She gets pushback from this. So the other listeners, they don't they don't understand. They just they travel the same way to the same thing. They do their business and they go the same way back. They don't look around them too much. They don't worry about what's over there. That's not our business. Ash and I's opposite, right? She has that curiosity growing in her. I gotta go over there. I gotta, I gotta write all this down. I gotta map it out. And the the response that they give her back is we already know where it is. Why write it down? And and then that kind of also ties into the what we see Venley doing with the the memorization of the songs. They have all these songs that kind of record their history. It has information about you know all sorts of things. That it seems like that's a very key cornerstone of their culture. Are these songs, which is very very related to like cultures that have an, an oral tradition. You'll hear that of a lot of ancient cultures that they pass everything down through through oral tradition yeah and this was true even in the time of socrates socrates was not a fan of writing things down which is really ironic because (laughs) his student plato went and wrote down as much as he could about what socrates was saying and then that's what we have nowadays of what we know of of socrates which is all this really awesome wisdom that you know we'd never know of if it hadn't been written down. But Socrates himself actually was not a fan. He said, if you write things down, that weakens your mind. If you, if you rely on a book to remember things for you, then your mind gets weak and you can't memorize it. You can't remember it all. And that's, that's kind of what we're seeing happening in this story right here. V- Venley is kind of going the traditional path of memorize everything. Here's all these songs. It's important. Important that we pass these on, you know, verbatim, word for word. Even the the paragraph that you think doesn't make sense, that's that's important to memorize as well. Or Eshenai is kind of kind of going off book. It's I don't really have. There's no like moral or anything to go with this. I don't know which way is better or not. But but I kind of drew this connection of there's an ancient kind of viewpoint that says don't write it down. It's better to memorize it. Whereas a much more modern kind of perspective would be no it's incredibly important to document everything and we're kind of seeing a little bit of that in our in our story here maybe it maybe a transition from ancient culture to modern in this moment as eshenai is kind of bringing this documentation to a more oral tradition as an aside which i won't elaborate too much on but i just thought of and thought it was kind of funny is that what you're describing with socrates and plato kind of gives me like modern technology with our older generation vibe like the older generation with new technology they're like no why can't we just do it this way you know and i feel like writing things down was socrates equivalent of that yep um and and we've come so far you know today where you know, I have to have a, a smartphone to remind me of what my calendar is for the day because I can't even remember that. Like that that's how far we've come and how, you know, weak our, our memories have gotten for better or for worse. We have all this technology that does a lot of things for us, but you know, maybe we've we've suffered a little bit in in the making of that, perhaps. Yeah. Starting kids and their alphabets these days. <laughs> Words. What are they? What are these letters? All right. Still feel way. Uh, forty-six. 
Unless he has anything for else for 45. 46. Navani. We cut back to Navani, who is just been captured in the tower by Raboniel, and she says, I will study under you or talk with you about Fabrials as opposed to being locked away. And we had a maybe a one-liner from Raboniel last part that offered this, and she said, you should accept this because think of what you could learn from me. She's kind of baiting Navani into saying, like, we could accomplish cool things together. We could find out cool things together. You just need to work with me. And Navani accepts this with the caveat that she's going to try to not help Raboniel as much as she can and just learn from her. But, you know, Raboniel's going to do the same thing for Navani. So they're going to try to play off each other here. And one of the first things that Navani realizes in their meetings is Raboniel just offhand mentions that, oh yes, Spren didn't manifest themselves in the physical realm or Spren don't manifest themselves in the physical realm like they used to. And Navani stops and is like, what? That, that's what soul casters are, is what she realizes. Soul casters are a physical spren that has chosen to surrender their spren, sprendom and come to the physical realm to manifest themselves as a soul caster. That's what a soul caster is. That's why she's never been able to figure out how soul casters work because there's no spren in Shadesmar equivalent because it itself is the spren, is, is the revelation she comes to in the first three minutes talking to Raboniel. So what'd you guys think of this, this chapter or the first half of this chapter, I should say second half is very tone different. This was a good bit of information. This, this fills in a gap. This answers a question that, that we've had is we knew that they can, they can look into shades Mar and they can see the spren involved with a lot of their fabrials, but soul casters, that was not true. Shardblades also same boat here as well, right? In that there's a shardblade, a physical shardblade, and then I don't know. Maybe shardblades are different. Shardblades are confusing now. So shardblades are are similar here, where they they're the physical spren manifesting themselves in the physical realm, and dead shardblades are dead spren right. that are that are locked in the, in that formation, whereas live shardblades are alive spren that can you know change change shape right so yeah so helpful kind of filling in the gaps here and also this 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 makes me wonder like what else are is manifested spread in the physical realm that we haven't realized they are we kind of have another category now for magical items that's maybe it doesn't seem like a fabrial or doesn't necessarily operate like a fabrial but maybe it kind of still is if it's one of these completely manifested spren that's come over to the physical and like the whole thing is the spren. So new, new category of stuff. I'm curious if a soul caster is a night radiant spren that died like a, like a shard blade, you know, like they manifested it as soul casters and left it as opposed to a shard blade and left it. 
Yeah, could be could be an important question as we try to get down to the bottom of the ethics of using spren and fabrils and things like that. What what's okay and what's not? You know, finding those dividing lines between what's a, a radiant spren and what's what's not. I think that's going to be important. Yeah. Anything on that, Paul? Before I go to the Kaladin part, it's fine if not. Yeah, you're welcome to move along. This was part that, in my read through, I was a little bit lost. I was mostly uh, excited to observe and learn uh, on that part uh, and see what y'all thought because I didn't. I didn't have a ton of things that stuck out to me or contributions. So I am down to move to Kaladin. Okay, sounds good. This. Kaladin chapter, oh boy. Um, so we, what was it? Last episode, we had the Moash interlude, where Odium is asking Moash, "How do we attack Kaladin?" Kaladin has taken a step back from his soldier duties, which is actually going to make him more dangerous, is what Odium says. So, how can we attack Kaladin? And Moash says, "Well, you just got to harp on his depression." Right, you got to make him feel isolated. You got to make him feel alone. You got to make him feel depressed. And here we are. So Moash has set up a connection with Kaladin while he's sleeping, and manipulates this dream of his to where he kills Tien, kills the two other messenger boys with Tien, turns around and fights the entirety of Bridge Four. They all kill each other. Turns around again. Moash jumps into the honor chasm and then he wakes up like there's some there's some dialogue from moash that's important there too but what man this is that's rough i think uh this i would personally this is my personal opinion i would consider this a uh, nightmare oh yeah that's just me. You're free to disagree with that um, if you just don't uh, agree with that. But that's that's the category of dream I would put this under. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, for me, this was more, more of the same from what we've kind of already seen of Moash. It, it's just so... I, I don't know. It, it's just so not okay. It, it bothers me a lot. I think similarly it, it does to you, Trevor, is when I, I I've had people in my in my life around me that that have struggled with depression and like every every bone in my body just screams out to you know to make me want to help them. And it's really hard sometimes to help someone who's going through, you know, a dark place like that. And to watch Moash not only not help someone around him who's already struggling with dark thoughts, but to go in and intentionally play off of those and make it worse. Like there's just every single thing about that is just so wrong to, to feed the darkness in someone else. That, that is, that is darkness of another level somehow. I, I can't explain to you why that's so bad in my mind above, you know, other things that Moash might be doing, but for some reason it is. Do you, yeah, I completely agree with you. Do you remember from last week, Moash's twisted motivation here? What, 
what he's his thought process is here? He he thinks he's trying to free Kaladin, right? It's something along those lines. Uh, no. So, Odium is trying to win over Kaladin like he did Moash. Moash is trying to get Kaladin to kill himself before that happens so he won't be under Odium's rule. That is Moash's goal, to kill Kaladin before Odium can get him. Yeah. Dark. It is. It is. What's really, what really, uh, I guess gets to me about this is I really hate being able to see the potential in a character and then have them like just disregard or go, go the other direction entirely is really heartbreaking. Um, and that is entirely the story that we've seen with Moash. Um, in that we see him kind of grow and uh, develop a bit early on with Bridge 4 segments. Um, and then now it's just like... Just as entirely gone, like, entirely villain. Uh, and it's really heartbreaking to see. It's really, like, tough. And uh, this is, like, really dastardly, you know, but... I don't think this is the last we're going to see. I bet we'll see. I mean, I can't think of what would be a worse flashback or, or, or dream for Kaladin to have, but yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if this keeps happening. Um, that's kind of his goal. That's what they're planning to do. So, yeah, I would honestly bet that we'll see another one. I want to, I want to read Moash's little excerpt here. You saved us. A voice said just so we could suffer. Moash stood on the edge of the chasm near Kaladin. The man turned, and Kaladin saw his eyes, black pits. People think you are merciful to us, but we both know the truth, don't we? You did it for you, not us. If you were truly merciful, you'd have given us easy deaths. No, Kaladin said. No. The void awaits, Cal, Moash said. The emptiness. It lets you do anything, even kill a king, without regret. One step. You'll never have to feel pain again. Moash took a step and dropped into the chasm. He's, uh... Yeah. I mean, we, we've said it all already, but he's just... attacking Kaladin where he knows he's vulnerable. And And even the logic that he's trying to play on there of the... Hey, give up your pain and you'll never have to feel regret or anything again. E even that bothers me and that th those feelings, those emotions are important emotions. When, when you do something like, like kill a king that he's referencing to, you should feel regret or you should feel shame or pain or something when you do something that you shouldn't do. And so to to get rid of those emotions, to be rid of them, to free you to do whatever you want. Not good. That's not, that's not a good thing. Not a positive. Yeah. It just brings me back to the, the shards that we were talking about that one episode where if 
the wrong person got mercy, then you'd have quite the scary shard. Like if Moash pick up picked up mercy, you know, like whoo. I'm gonna put you all out of your mercy. Calvin wakes that, up. Go ahead, Paul. Um, it, it's uh, not something we should talk about too long for rabbit trail purposes, but it, it made me think of kind of a, what could be sort of a fun prediction or maybe guess. Uh, is do we think that Moash will get to some kind of level? In my mind, Moash is kind of the perfect Kaladin counter, like evil counterpart, like the Dark Link, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and. Right now, they're both incredibly powerful characters in their own right. Do you think that will like continue to level up? Um, do you think we might get to some point where Moash is on some kind of like bonded, maybe not shard of Adenalsium, but some kind of like higher level kind of thing um, as our story grows into to a more pinnacle point? I made me think of it because you mentioned, like, what if he got mercy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the things that could happen. What if? Do you think that would happen? I I have to refrain from answering based on what's left in this book, unfortunately. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's been blast since we've heard that. Don't read into that too much, but yes. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, it has been a while since you heard that, because I remember... The first ten chapters of Rhythm of War and the last like three. So I I have my bookends of the book and I remember what happens at the start and this like the very end of the Sandry Lange, but that's it. I think your question is a really interesting one, Paul, because my first reaction to that would be like, yes, we're gonna see these two characters grow. Maybe they're gonna be the the big showdown that we get at the end of the book, like we saw Kaladin showdown with Zeth at the end of Words of Radiance. Yep. But I, I'm not sure there's a lot of growing room for either of them. Kaladin mm-hmm. has seemed to hit a glass ceiling with the fourth ideal. He can't seem to go any further there and seems to even be questioning if he wants to go any further. So can Kaladin level up more? I, I don't know. He, he has the potential to. He can fourth ideal and I guess theoretically fifth ideal. Moash is getting powers from an honor blade. So he doesn't have any way to kind of level up any further that we know of, with the exception being, yes, yeah, something brand new of bonding a spren or bonding a shard or becoming a vessel or you know something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like there's any immediate way for Moash to grow too much. So they both seem to maybe stalled a bit. So to, are they going to keep growing in power? I, I think after I think about it, my answer might be no, maybe they have to defeat each other to go, you know, grow any further. Yeah. I think Moash be, might yeah. be a little bit too obsessed with Kaladin to move anywhere um, and move on with his life. If, because, you know, his mostly unchained thing, if Kaladin no longer existed, then I think Moash could, is progress the right word? Uh, like, um, you know, keep keep going on the 
path he's going on. I'll say that. Uh-huh. And but right now he's he's stalled. I would agree with you. Yeah, they they are definitely stalled. I have faith that Kaladin's storyline is going to play into some growth. Right. It doesn't look like growth right now because he's taking a step back from combat. He's doing uh, a lot of work as a surgeon and work to try and combat like mental health problems that they're facing. Uh, but I have faith that that's going to lead to something big. I don't know what that will look like. It may not be combat growth, but maybe something else. Um, and in the same way, I could... F- well, not not in the same way. I could 100% percent to see Moash grow in power just off of like, I don't know <laughs> fully offering himself up to Odium to just be like a puppet, like kind of kind of thing. I don't know what that would look like specifically, but he would I feel like he would just be totally willing to to give himself over to to like fight for Odium or something. So I could definitely see it getting higher stakes, which I think would be cool. Uh but yeah, that that was just my little question that popped into my head. So that I'm free to move forward. And at the end of the chapter, Kaladin wakes up. He unlocks his secret door, and uh, Sill is there. So he's he's not trapped in his little box with Teft. Um, Teft is still unconscious. Sill's there. He opens his door, so he's uh he's okay. And then moving on to chapter 47. So this chapter, this chapter is very, it kind of feels like it comes out of the blue. We, we kind of dropped Dalinar for a full part, if not more. And we haven't done anything over here in this, in, in the war on the east side of Roshar. It picks up and then we get a huge, like, lore teaser. Like... If there was ever a trailer for Nail's backstory, this is this is it, because it's like just scene, 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 which we'll read here in a second. But what did you guys, uh, what did you guys pick up for the first half where Dalinar's talking to the mink? Some some cool battle strategy for sure with their their flying platform that they have. It's not the the bridge for or fourth bridge or whatever they call mm-hmm. it flying ship it's more it, it's a smaller just tactical hey we're going to take this little platform up super high so you can see the entire battlefield yep which of course in in modern day we have planes and drones and stuff that do exactly that for you know modern battles in historical times that was a big challenge was awareness of what is going on and so they're really smart here to gain a really big advantage of seeing the entire battlefield. Now, of course, your enemy does have airborne units, so they do have to defend that platform from the the skybreakers who are coming to attack it, which is exactly what happens. But but cool little setup with the sort of general's overlook. Yeah. And the mink has a line where he says, I... I'm kind of nervous that both of us are up here, you and I, Dalinar, because, well, if one of us dies up here, then the other one's going to die. And Dalinar says, well, I'm not, I'm not a tactical general anymore. That's why I rescued you. That's your job. I'm here to rescue. I'm here to make sure you don't die. That's my job right now. And I will uh, open perpendicularities for my windrunners, but you're, you're, you're the tactics guy. I'm just going to be sitting here. 
He also, Dalinar, has an interesting escape plan that he mentions in there. He's like, oh, yeah, if, if things go badly, I'll just open the perpendicularity and we'll we'll hop over Shadesmar. It'll be fine. It's like, shoot, oh. Shoot uh, the portal gun. Whoop. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, clever. Nice, nice emergency backup plan, I suppose. And then there's like a padded ship with pillows on it that they fall on in chase. Yeah. That's so, that's so weird. Yeah. That was an elaborate, elaborate setup there, but I guess you got to protect your, protect your generals. I wonder if the, among his beta readers, Brandon Sanderson has like a, give me your weirdest application of this magic you could possibly think of. And I'll take like three of the weirdest ones and put it in the book somewhere. Like, that that's that sounds like this type of thing where what if you could open yeah. a portal and just jump through and fall to the fall to the boat that's waiting for you you know the other thing just real quick on that battle tactics side of things that downar also is thinking about is that i hadn't thought about before was downar's really powerful on the battlefield right because he can open a perpendicularity bring in unlimited amounts of stormlight to recharge the windrunners Yep. And any of the other radiance that they have, which is huge, right? Because book series up until now, Stormlight is your limiting factor. You you can get as far as you can as long as you have Stormlight. When you run out of Stormlight, you're you have problems. Dalinar is an unlimited source of Stormlight, so that's big. But he has to be careful how and when he opens the perpendicularity to not also recharge the skybreakers. Because we have radiant versus radiant happening here, and so he has to—they have to come up with clever ways for the the windrunners to like break away and swing back to Dalinar to get the recharge without the skybreakers like just sucking in the same energy. So that that definitely is going to change your battle tactics. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. All right, are we ready for the the nail confrontation? Yes. All right, so I I remember this chapter from my first read. I was not expecting like this huge lore dump in the middle of uh, middle of a battle here. So I I want to read it. Well, I'll, I'll read the the connection part, but I'll set up in in case you guys want to talk about it all. But Nail jumps up on the on the platform. Zeth basically tackles Dalinar out of the way, make sure he doesn't die, and then Nail. Basically, just starts yelling at Dalinar, saying, "How dare you fight here? You're supposed to be the Bondsmith, the Honor, the um, the the Stormfather Bondsmith. You've got the surges of honor. How dare you?" And Dalinar says, "Well, maybe that justifies me being here. The fact that I can have the surges of honor and still be here, and maybe you're the one that's incorrect." Um. So they kind of go back and forth on that a little bit. What did you guys think of that? I loved it. Uh, I'm excited to see our heralds come into play, even though Nail seems unique. He seems to be the one who's really adamantly against things, while other peop- the other heralds are just kind of out of it. Uh, and yeah, it makes me curious to know what Nail knows. And we... Or, or, like, we kind of know what Nail knows or why he's against Dalinar and our, our protagonists. But 
it's complicated. Either way, I was kind of excited for this uh, type of conflict with the Heralds. So, Zeth almost pulled Nightblood on Nail. He was really close, and Dalinar had to stop him. Yeah. I was actually a little bit disappointed in, in Zeth. Yes, he didn't get to, to pull Nightblood, but we still know what an incredibly powerful warrior Zeth is. We've yeah. seen what he can do. And Nail just kind of like swats him away like a like a a fly that's being obnoxious. Yeah. Like, no, get down. I I thought Zeth would put up a little more of a of a fight than that. I do think it's kind of funny that Cord is that is it Cord or yeah, Cord has her shard bow. And she shoots Nail in the face when he when he jumps up the first time. In the middle of a sentence. <laughs> and then the second time when he actually goes for, for Dalinar, she shoots him again and he catches it that time. So I'm like, did he just let the arrow hit him the first time? Like, did he not care? <laughs> or did it genuinely take him by surprise? I, I don't know. A good question. It, it is... I didn't know what to expect, because this is her first time, I guess, seeing a Herald jump into action. And so, I was surprised that Zeth was able to be swatted away, right? Uh, but, I mean, I guess Nail kind of raised up Zeth to an extent. Like, not mm -hmm. for a crazy amount of time, but, like, showed him the Skybreaker ropes, at least. And Nail has been around for a long time. So it doesn't surprise me that he could win, at least in that in that fight. Uh, but it has me wondering, like, what, like, if that were the case, if he just kind of swatted him to the side, like, why didn't he just? I think he could have just taken over right then and there. Um, that had me a little bit confused, I guess. It seems to me, and, and maybe this will play into where we're about to go with this. It seems to me like Nail may. Still be like grasping at straws. He, we had in Edge Dancer, like the the moment of truth for him. He nail was off, killing all the radiance he could find to stop the desolation from coming. Yep. And then he has kind of this moment of truth of, oh no, it the desolation is here. I I've failed, or I need to stop doing this. But it seems like he's maybe still just kind of grasping it. I have to be right. You all have to be wrong. That's kind of what he's shouting at Dalinar. Here's what it seems like is he just keeps harping on, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And Dalinar's kind of trying to explain to him, like, you know, may maybe I'm not. Maybe this is this is okay. Let's talk about this. And and Nail just is like, I don't know, almost in like a a, a blood haze. That he can't, he can't think logically anymore. Which they're all broken and insane, right? So yeah, fits. Part of the, part of the canon of all the heralds going insane. That there's been questions that Brandon Sanderson has raffled on the heralds uh, going insane, but he said part of it is if you live that long. Your memory, his his argument is, if you live that long, your memory just starts warping, to where you can't make sense of reality and the past anymore. Where there's so much going on in your head over 
so long that you can't think straight anymore, which is why the majority of our heralds are crazy. I'm gonna make sense to me. I'm going to read the part right where Dalinar touches Nail, um, when at the prompting of the Stormfather. Dalinar saw Nail stepping away from a discarded blade rammed into the stone. Flash. Nail cradling a child in one arm, his blade out as dark forces crawled across a ridge nearby. Flash. Nail st standing with a group of soldiers and unrolling a large writ filled with writing. The law cannot be moral, Nail said to them, but you can be moral as you create the law. Ever must you protect the weakest, those most likely to be taken advantage of, institute a right of movement so that a family who feels their lord is unrighteous can leave the area. Then tie a lord's authority to the people who follow him. Flash. Nail kneeling before a high spread. Flash. Nail fighting on a battlefield. Flash. Another fight. Flash. Another fight. The visions came faster and faster. Dalinar could no longer distinguish one from another until... Flash. Nail clasping hands with a bearded Alethi man, regal and wise. Dalinar knew this was Yazereza, though he couldn't say how. I will take this charge, Nail said softly, with honor. Do not consider it an honor, Yezrian said. A duty, yes, but not an honor. I understand, though I had not expected you would come to an enemy with this offer. An enemy, yes, Yezrian said, but an enemy who was, who was correct all along, making me the villain. We will fix what, what we've broken. Ishar and I agreed. There is no person we would welcome more eagerly into this pact than you. You are the single most honorable man I have ever had the privilege of opposing. I wish that were true, Nail said, but I will serve as best I can. I know there's a big, big one at the end there with, with Yezrian, but the one I'm most interested in, actually is the young child that he's cradling in his arms with dark figures approaching him with the sword. Like, what is happening in that scene? I, I really want to know what's happening there, but, you know, there, there's it's the obvious one. Well. There's the obvious one that we're supposed to talk about at the end there. I, I was also wondering about that, Trevor. Is it like, was that his child? Was that like a, just a child he's saving? Is like... Is it a child he's killing? Like, is this someone we know now? Right. Uh, potentially, like. Oh yeah, all the questions from these these segments. I wonder too if the one right after the the child, where he's talking about the law and the the morality of it, that almost sounds like an oath to me. Like that could be a a skybreaker oath, maybe like the fifth ideal oath. Perhaps, maybe not quite. I don't. I don't. I can't decide. I thought along those lines as well, and also it 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 seemed different from what I thought of with the skybreaker ideals or things. Um, like yes, it's about the law, but it seemed a much in a much better light. Like I felt like the ideals I've seen so far, whenever Nail was kind of going over it with Zeth. Mm -hmm seemed really harsh still. And this mm. seemed more like practical in my mind of like 
really enforcing those laws to the people who want to be under this like ruler, if that makes sense. Like people can leave if they want to. I don't know. It seemed more practical and more forgiving, I guess. So with that last one, the the one with Yezrian, I want to dissect this a little bit because the first the first memory that Dalinar sees is Nail leaving his sword in the circle of in the circle of swords and abandoning what's his face? Talon now. Talon. Yeah. And then the last one is Yezrian talking to Nail about a pact and joining this pact. And Ishar and I have figured out this pact. So my question is. Is the first, I assume, I assume it's in chronological order, but it, like for all the scenes that we're seeing, but is it forward or backwards is my question. So is this, is this the forming of the original Oath Pact that we're seeing on the last scene? Or is this sometime between abandoning Talon in Damnation and them creating some new pact that we don't know about. Like there's some agreement between Ishar, Nail, and Yezrian that we're not aware of. Has that happened between then and now, or are we going further and further back in time as we're seeing these? So I want to say that the first one we see is the last one to happen that that is when they broke the oath pact lift their swords abandoned town and that as you go through the scenes of down our siege you're going backwards in time okay and then you get to the forming of the original oath pact at the end there where yesrin is saying hey you're an enemy of mine but i want you to come join this oath pact it'll be a super honorable thing for us to do but there's one phrase in there that is confusing me. And that's where Yezrian says, we will fix what we've broken. Ishar and I agreed. That phrase doesn't seem to jive with that being the original Oath Pact. Yeah. Unless there's more that we don't know, which I'm sure there's lots we don't know. Right. But that one sentence might make me start to wonder along the lines that you seem to be you know, proposing of maybe this is something different. Maybe this is they broke the oath pact and this is Yezrian trying to say, no, come back. We're going to fix this. Maybe. I I was always, I don't like remember this scene terribly well for my first time, but when I read this this time, I was just under the assumption that we were seeing it in forward order where he would abandon his sword and that was the oldest thing we saw here and every and as you flash it goes from there forward towards closer to present time but now i'm almost leaning the other direction of we're seeing the original oath pact and maybe they you know they broke you know i don't know something with the the singers or you know whatever but yeah i don't i don't know 
I was definitely not the impression that it was getting more current. I almost thought the other way. Okay. Like it was going further and further back. Or honestly, I, I didn't think about that. I assumed it was hopping all over. Okay. Yeah, yeah I guess that's also an option. I think a clue here that I think I, we don't have enough to solve, perhaps, or maybe we do, and there's just so many different pieces, we're not sure which is which. But the the clue for me is that Yezrian and Nail are enemies. Right. That was a bit of the the new information for me is he talks, he references multiple times, we've been enemies, but you're the best, most honorable enemy I've ever faced. So come join me in this. We're going to do this good thing. When would Yezrin and Nail have been enemies? Before the original forming of the original Oath Pact or somewhere in the middle? Right. And I don't know if I have enough to piece that together yet, but that seems like the... If we can figure out a timeline of when they're on the same side and when they're not, that might help us place this event in the timeline. And I am leaning more towards we're seeing the original Oath Pact now because of what happens right after. Um, it's not a flashback. It's, I don't know, something else that Dalinar sees right after this. And Elliot, you have it in the outline, so I'll let you take it if you'd like. This is what I want to pick your guys' brains on as much as 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 I can here, because yeah, then it spins into what seems like present day. It doesn't seem like a flashback anymore. It seems like we come out of the flashing scenes of of the past, and then Dalinar sees what he seems to think is the actual oath pact or some sort of like representation of it. He sees these these lines, these connections that seem to be coming off of Nail, and there's nine of them. He specifically notices that seven of the lines, seven of the connections are very weak. One of the connections is very strong, and the other one is completely broken. I really, really, really want to figure out what all this means, but I... I, I just can't. It seems obvious, perhaps, that the nine would be the other nine heralds. Right. There's ten total heralds. One is Nail, so the other nine. He's got some sort of a connection to them. That's kind of what the Oath Pact is, as far as we know. So I'm tracking there. But why are seven of them weak, one is strong, and one is broken? Like, who's on the other end of those lines? And why aren't they all broken? Why aren't they all... Why are there lines at all? Is mm-hmm. this, this doesn't seem to quite fit with my understanding of the shape that the Oath Pact is in. Is it, and Dalinar kind of goes this way as well, is it repairable? Is it something we can save or fix? Well, my, my definite guess, at least to the broken line, would be that that is Yezrian, uh, because right. he's, he, he's, dead. He's, he's dead. Effectively, been, yes, he's been killed. Uh, and then... I would assume the strong one would be Tom, right? Because he, why? Because he never abandoned the Oath Pact. Yes, I thought that too. Okay, but I had, I had my only other thought to that was 
maybe there's another one who, well I'm really thinking like if one is strong maybe there's a herald still out there that's like not crazy um, um, and I thought it could be that but Todd would definitely make sense because mm-hmm. he didn't abandon it unless we're talking about connections to Nail specifically which in in which case I would argue that it would not be Talon, and maybe it would be Ishar, because we know that Nail and Ishar have been talking recently, and because Nail goes to Ishar to justify his "I'm going to side with the singers" um, line of thinking back at the end of Oath, or uh, yeah, back at the end of Oathbringer, he goes to talk to Ishar real quick with it's a, it's a Zeth's uh, chapter, and. So maybe the strong one is to Ishar, and that, and he's connected to Ishar well, and then he's weakly connected to everybody else because he hasn't talked to them in forever, and then he's broken with Yezrian. Maybe that's a... There's another part of this that's interesting. Down our seas a line connecting Nail and himself. Does he? Yeah. I missed that if that... Okay. Let me... I think I'm reading this right. The vision faded, and Nail lurched away from Dalinar, gasping, his eyes wide. He left a line of light stretching between him and Dalinar. And then Dalinar, like... The, the Stormfather kind of chimes in for a second there, and then Dalinar's kind of talking through it. And then later he says, Dalinar stepped forward, walking amongst his stunned bodyguards, noting eight lines of light extending from Nail into the distance. So the nine total, I think, is actually including the one running from Nail to Dalinar, which is confusing. And, there's, and you said there's eight going into the distance? Dalinar stepped forward, walking among his stunned bodyguards, noting eight lines of light extending from Nail into the distance. So then does Yezrin not even have one? Yeah, it could it could be where Yezrin no longer has one. And the broken one is... Is the broken one then Talm? That's what I had thought. He, I feel like he's got to be one of the two distinct ones because right, he's right, just right. unique. Um, Unless the broken one could be then Ishar because Ishar is completely crazy and going all war mode and yeah. Anyway, right? Yeah, I don't know. I thought there was. I thought this was a pretty cut and dry answer, but now that I'm actually thinking about it, and there's eight instead of nine, and one is going to Dalinar. The, the ninth one is going... That's so weird. It also... it They could be different. The way I'm reading this right now, there's a line, line of light that runs from Nail to Dalinar, and then there's eight lines that run off into the distance. But then towards the end of this, as Nail like starts to leave, it, it describes how he breaks the line between himself and Dalinar. Right. And so, and the Stormfather talks about here, you, you forged a brief connection with Nail. Capital C connection. Yes, capital yep. C connection. So it could be that this line between 
down our nail is just kind of the visualization of what just happened there that he made this brief connection with nail and then it's gone when he when he leaves and that the other lines are more like permanent connections that he might have with the other heralds that that's the oath pact and this line between him and Dalar has nothing to do with the oath pact but then why are there eight other lines and then one between him and Dalinar that the numbers I don't know confusing that's weird I'm gonna have to go think about that although as I'm thinking about this I'm gonna have to go study this passage again you, maybe the, the description, the interpretation of this could be he sees eight lines running away because one of them is broken and like the ninth one would be the broken one. Oh. I don't it know. Be. I have to go read this closely to see. I'll just text Brandon here in a little bit and be like, hey, what'd, what'd you mean by this? Discord DM, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm going to have to go think about that. Anything else for this episode? Just one brief note on the epigraphs. We, we didn't yeah. mention this at the yeah. start. I wanted to, to, to mention this because, of course, the title of our book is Rhythm of War. And we've our trend so far has been that the titles of our books are actual, real, in-world books that our characters come across. So I've been on the lookout for Rhythm of War. Well, we just found it. It's the the epigraphs from these chapters of this part are taken from the in-world Rhythm of War, which is super cool. They haven't been super informational yet. None of these four, four or five here, were really great. They, they seem like they're just kind of bits and pieces of a conversation almost, or a stream of consciousness in a way but i'm trying to figure out who might be speaking who might be the author of a rhythm of war and then also i caught myself wondering is this like an actual rhythm is it like a poem meant to be spoken to a rhythm of roshar right and so i actually did spend a few minutes trying to do a little bit of google research on on how to determine like poetic meter to see if i could you know figure out is there a poetic meter that goes along with these little phrases that we're getting that you could try and get to like a, a rhythm that it's supposed to be spoken to. I didn't get very far. That is way outside of any of my, my expertise or knowledge. So maybe someone out there who has a little more background in, in poetry and in English can, can maybe help us out there. But I couldn't tell if there was any kind of a, a rhythm or meter to these or not, but I, I, I want there to be. Mm. So anyway, I'm excited to see more of excerpts of Rhythm of War and see if we can figure out who the author is. Sounds good. Anything else for this episode? That's all. I, I was super excited to see this uh, content with Nail, our Herald, and Zeth and Emmett there, so I'm really excited going forward. Yeah, me too. Let's reconvene next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. See ya. Doodles. Doodles.